ahakoa tātou pōrarutanga e pai ana, waihoana te tangata kia kōrero nei ona whakaaro, riria te riri a ka u ki te pai. Although the grievances allow the people to speak their minds so that we eventually reach a satisfactory conclusion. E te iwi o te motu, tēnei te mihi ki a tātou katoa, nau mai ki te hōtaka nei a te ahika. Ko Justin Murray tēnei. I'm Justin Murray, back in the whare with our weekly programme Te Ahika, bringing everything that is indigenously Māori right to you on Radio New Zealand National. This week I'm presenting solo. My co-host Mariah Rakuraku will be back next week. Yesterday was the 6th of February and Waitangi Day celebrations, often touted as our Independence or Bastille Day, was taking place all over the country and indeed around the world. With all of that in mind, this edition of Te Ahika is focused on Te Tiriti or Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, and everything it entails now in 2010, 170 years after its signing. How does the Treaty of Waitangi shape up in the 21st century? How relevant is it to this nation? What value does a document signed between two parties, the indigenous Māori people and the British monarchy, have in today's world in a legal, economic and social sense? Those are questions Ngāti Kahunganu ki Wairarapa academic Malcolm Mulholland put to fellow academics in his book Weeping Waters, the Treaty of Waitangi and Constitutional Change, set to be launched at the end of March. Mariah is with the author a little later on in the show who suggests that the symbols we associate with a nation like the national anthem and flag need a bit of a revamp. Um, and I think if you were to ask the same question now, 170 years later, still people would be scratching their heads and saying, well, actually, I don't have a great deal of knowledge as to how that flag was chosen. I think that's a sad indictment uh, upon successive governments and not making it a priority for um, our children to be educated in the schools. And if there's one kōrero in this country that gets everyone heated up, it seems, it's flags. Over the past week alone, we've heard media headlines focused on flags, or rather the patent of the Tinoranga Tiratanga flag. You know, the one, the red, black and white flag advocating Māori sovereignty. So, when the Prime Minister John Key made this announcement at the end of last year, that both the New Zealand and Tinorangatiratanga flag would fly together on Waitangi Day at the Auckland Harbour Bridge and Premier House, that's the official residency of the New Zealand Prime Minister, the reaction was mixed. There will always be some that uh, don't see or won't accept uh, that flag. Uh, that's why there was only 80% support in the submissions process, not 100%. Uh, but then there, there are plenty of New Zealanders who also think the current New Zealand flag uh, should be replaced by another flag. That's the life when it comes to flags. They are simply symbols. Rather than focus on the symbolism of both treaty partners and the kotahitanga or unity it represents, the response has been to suggest the flags flying together is divisive, or so it seems. And what about the place itself, the Bay of Islands settlement Waitangi, where the founding document, or one of the many copies of the Treaty of Waitangi, that circulated the country around that time, and where annual celebrations began. Presenter of the Waiata programme that plays every week before Te Ahika, Te Ati Haunui a Paparangi Eru Rerekura, reported on the general mood of those who attended the Waitangi celebrations yesterday. The first time I actually arrived at Waitangi for the celebrations was back in 2000, so that's 10 years ago, and it was in a work capacity, and it was my first time being exposed to what, what actually happens here, and of course, 10 years ago is when we had uh, lots of protesting and lots of, um, lots of colourful uh, activities happening here, as opposed to uh, the last previous years where, where it's actually been quite peaceful. Eru Rerekura there from Waitangi, and he'll be joining us later on in the programme. He'll also be talking about the yummy mussel fritters. A subject of contention this week leading up to Waitangi commemorations was the Tinoranga Tiratanga flag. We'll explain later in the show what it means. Black represents te korekore, the realm of potential being. It represents the long darkness from whence the world emerged. It represents the heavens. The male element is formless, floating and passive. 
Remembering as well that the symbol actually comes from Article 2 of Te Tiriti o Waitangi, the Māori translation of the English version, and has spearheaded a whole movement. We'll have some of that too, what Tenorangatiratanga means. To end the show, we revisit 1968 and gauge the mood of the people gathered in an archival recording featuring Ngāpuhi statesman Sir James Hinari. The removal by legislation of certain and difficult obstacles to full equality with a Pākehā sometimes ruffles otherwise calm Māori waters. That's what we have lined up for you this week on Te Ahika. I'm Justine Murray. Sit back, relax and join us in this Waitangi Weekend special. Ko te kaupapa tuatahi e whai ake nei. Flying the New Zealand ensign flag, now that's the official name of the New Zealand flag, alongside the Tinorangatiratanga flag, symbolises the unity of Māori and Pākehā. Well, that was the intention when the Minister of Māori Affairs, Dr Peter Sharples, and the Prime Minister John Key announced both flags would be flying on the Auckland Harbour Bridge. And, as you may recall, a series of hui were held around the country to discuss which flag best represented Māori and would be flown on Waitangi Day. The role of those that attended the hui was basically to choose between three flags, the Confederation of Tribes flag, the Tinorangatiratanga flag and the New Zealand flag. So, going back a few months to mid-2009, I spoke to some of those that were present at the flag hui. Oh, I chose the Tinorangatira flag, it's my preference. Um, I chose it because, I, well, one of the reasons I asked my six-year-old daughter, Kahukura, which one she liked, and she said that she liked that one because it was Māori, simple, really. Tinorangatiratanga. And why? Oh, because, you know, it's pretty cool. Which flag did you choose? Uh, the Tinorangatiratanga flag. It's a uniting symbol for Māori. It's where we always gather. We've always gathered under that flag, and I grew up going to varying protests and varying rallies with my mother believing that that was our flag, so I want to see it flowing in the future. Uh, Tinorangatiratanga. Binds the whole of Aotearoa and Z together. Tinorangatiratanga? Because it's just universally recognised and people all seem to support that flag. Which flag? Oh, 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 and why? You know, it, it inspires me when I look at it, you know, for the reasons that you ever designed it. You know, and I, I do like the look of the flag above the others, you know. Powerful sort of design, basically. The Māori flag, because it symbolises us as a people and as a way forward. Kia Oh, the Tinorangatira one. Mm. Well, it is. It's Maori flag, isn't it? It's us. Mm. The other ones have got too many straight lines. <laughs> it's the ugly. Straight lines is an ugly design. Yeah, it's not very creative having straight lines. Yeah. Oh, Kilda. Oh, the Tinorangatiratanga flag. I think uh, main reason is because it's a sign of struggle, and um, as we move from um, settlement to development, um, there's still a struggle there, and it's pretty hard to know which way government is is um, going to honour the treaty or thing and, and I think we've got to have a flag that indicates struggle just to remind us that you've got to, everything that Māori gain has got to be fought for. A few opinions there from the flag hui held last year. So what does the Tinorangatiratanga flag mean? First we need to background the story from the flag's inception and its design. 21 years ago, a group called Te Kawariki ran a competition to design a Māori flag and out of that came the Tinorangatiratanga flag. It was designed by Hiraina Marsden, Jan Dobson and Linda Munn. The main colours are black, red and white. Its look has become synonymous with Māori pride, you know, as seen on T-shirts, hats, hoodies and beanies, which you're likely to see en masse at festivals such as Matatini. And it's a sign of protest through flags and banners, which are waved during hikoi. Here is an explanation of each colour of the Tinorangatiratanga flag. Black represents te korekore, the realm of potential being. It represents the long darkness from whence the world emerged. It represents the heavens. The male element is formless, floating and passive. White represents Te Aumarama, the realm of being and light. It is the physical world. White symbolises purity, harmony, enlightenment, balance and air rising. The koru, curling frond shape, represents the unfolding of new life. 
that everything is reborn and continues. It promises renewal and hope for the future. The design can also be interpreted as a white cloud mass over Aotearoa. Red represents Te Whaiao, the realm of coming into being. It symbolises female, active, flashing, self, yelling, emergence, forests, land, gestation and spirals. Red is Papatuanuku, Earth Mother, the sustainer of all living things. Red is the colour of the earth from which the first human was made. I'm Justine Murray and you're listening to the Kaupapa Māori programme on Radio New Zealand National Te Ahika. For more information about the programme or to download today's show, you can head to our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Last year, it was announced by Prime Minister John Key to fly the Tinorangatiratanga flag this Waitangi weekend, as reported on Radio New Zealand National's Morning Report. Back on the 6th of February in 1840, Māori and the Crown came together as partners to sign the treaty. Now, in my view... Uh, the symbolism of flying the New Zealand flag, supported by the Māori flag, Tenaranga Teratanga flag, is an important step. It's a symbol, it's a small step, but nevertheless it's a positive step that we are embracing our cultural diversity. But this flag is, is largely seen by many as a protest flag. How is that unifying? Well, I wouldn't always agree with that. I mean, if you look at the origins of what the flag means, uh, you know, I think it means potential and hope, um, partly because of the furling frond that's in the flag design, also its colours. And it isn't always flown in protest. I mean, the, the Team New Zealand crew flew this flag at Valencia. Uh, you see it at, uh, at a lot of uh, Kapahaka competitions. You see it at uh, the Sevens being flown. So someone on your track just said, look, over time the perception of it will change with other New Zealanders, those that see it more as a protest flag, and I think that's absolutely right. But there was also criticism there from someone like Kingi Tauru, who says it's the Māori Party flag, it's a political flag, it's not a flag for all Māori. Well, I don't agree uh, that it's a political flag. I mean, the, at the end of the day, the Māori Party chose to have that as its sign, but um, it was there long before the Māori Party. And in my view, uh, it's, it is going to be a symbolism of the bicultural foundations that New Zealand is founded on. And I think in all of these things, you know, a little bit of perspective needs to be seen. If you go back uh, some years in our history, Nader Glavish was fired for saying Kiora. Uh, would we today seriously fire someone because they said Kiora? But nor would we resent it. You know, we're a country, a young country that's evolving, and you know this needs to be put in perspective. But it even appears that at Waitangi Marae, they're not convinced about the Tinaranga Teratanga flag flying on the day. That's right, and there'll always be some that uh, don't see or won't accept uh, that flag. Uh, that's why there was only 80% support in the submissions process, not 100%. Uh, but then there, there are plenty of New Zealanders who also think the current New Zealand flag uh, should be replaced by another flag. That's the life when it comes to flags. They are simply symbols. National, the National Party used to run strongly on a platform of one law for all, but apparently not one flag for all at this stage. I don't agree with that. I think, uh, well, there'll be two flags for all, if, if that's the way you want to adopt it. When I look at those flags on Waitangi Day, um, we're all going to see something different. But I'm going to be reminded, as I will have been at the dawn service and everything else, how lucky we are in New Zealand that we chose to, to build a country off of a peaceful foundation. And I think that uh, any New Zealander that takes this out of context is really missing the point that there's a lot to be celebrated. And I think if you put it in the same perspective, uh, you don't see New Zealanders running around objecting if the haka is performed by the All Blacks at a test match. In fact, there's wild outcry uh, when there's suggestions from British sporting journalists every so often that it should be dropped. Prime Minister John Key talking to Radio New Zealand National's Morning Report in support of flying the Tinoranga Tiratanga flag for this year's Waitangi commemorations. So what does the word mean? The word rangatiratanga is based on another word, rangatira, or chief. You can also hear the word in the Māori version of the Lord's Prayer, no hoki te rangatiratanga te kaha mete kororia. The word tino is to reinforce the word rangatiratanga. So, with both words, it means to reinforce one's chieftainship, authority or control. This year marks the 170th anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. There are three articles of the treaty. Article 1 outlines the government of land. 
The second article outlines Māori chiefs and their authority over the whenua. And the last article stipulates the protection of citizens of New Zealand. The Treaty of Waitangi was in both English and Māori, and the words kawanatanga, meaning governorship, was not fully understood by the Māori chiefs at the time, who clearly did understand the word rangatiratanga, chieftainship. The debate over the meaning of the Treaty of Waitangi in English and Māori continues today. Attended yesterday's commemorations. Eru, this year it's the 170th uh, celebrations or commemorations at Waitangi. Um, you know, how um, ha- how many times have you have you attended Waitangi? This is actually maybe my fourth visit here. The first time I actually arrived at Waitangi for the celebrations was back in 2000, so that's 10 years ago, and it was in a work capacity, and it was my first time being exposed to what what actually happens here, and of course, 10 years ago is when we had uh, lots of protesting and lots of um, lots of colourful uh, activities happening here, as opposed to uh, the last previous years where, where it's actually been quite peaceful. So um, we had the likes of uh, Tamiti back then jumping the fence, um, and also uh, other you know significant Māori activists uh, doing their thing back then ten, uh, ten years ago. So um, comparing that uh, to the last couple of de- uh, last couple of years, it's um, the mood's actually gone quite peaceful. So uh, ten years ago was was when I first uh, attended here, and um, e- every year it's been a, a bright and sort of uh, sunny occasion. Um, it's always been great, sort of uh, catching up and meeting the people who uh, who are actually in the news and say things about Waitangi. What's the What's the general? Uh, so you're you're there based at Waitangi, of course, filing for uh, Radio New Zealand National. What's the general mood there at Waitangi celebrations? The mood here at the moment, well. Uh, Lots of workshops and seminars are happening um, at the moment as uh, Waitangi, as Ngāpuhi people uh, prepare for their Waitangi tribunal hearings next month. So there's lots of wānanga, lots of seminars, lots of listening on, on marae as Ngāpuhi people uh, get uh, get uh, ready for those uh, Waitangi uh, hearings next month. Um, so there's a hype of activity. The tent city has sprung up uh, with a with a nice little market there. There's plenty of um, plenty of stalls. There's everything here from midi midi massage to to muscle fritters, and uh, I want to talk about the muscle fritters because uh, they're always a highlight of um, me coming here and. Um, <laughs> Plenty of other people can attest to the, the delicious uh, mussel fritters. And it's one of the things that, uh, that hits you straight away as you walk into Tent City and, and around the, the market is, 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 the smell, is the smell of kai. You know, you've been based there, Eru, uh, for your um, work to file reports for uh, Radio New Zealand National. I mean, you've got a team um, who's working behind the scenes and very well fed, I would imagine. <laughs> Without the team, of course, we wouldn't be able to get the air. So we've got uh, two technicians here. We've got our political reporter, uh, Brent Edwards, uh also our Waikato reporter, Andrew McRae. We've got Penny Smiths up here. Uh, and also Gareth Thomas, the chief reporter, overseeing and making sure that we're all out there getting what's needed uh, to feed the news bulletins. But I guess my main purpose is to actually broadcast the Waatea news bulletins from here. And uh, most of those are being done live here from the treaty grounds. And it's great to actually get out of the office and um, and actually broadcast the news bulletins with the natural... Uh, uh, ambience around me, as, as you can hear, the cicadas in the background, which is always a sign of hot weather. It's um, it's going to be a hot day here at Waitangi, and um, and uh, we'll be out and about, sort of gathering the news under the heat and um, following some of the uh, marches. And um, last year, I can remember, I was sent out to follow the the usual march that comes on to the Mariah Waitangi Day. In previous years, of course, it's always been a, a protest march with people being quite bitter about about events and, um, and various tucky that they have. But last year, it was actually quite a peaceful march and people were singing songs about love, about aroha, about kotahitanga. So there's definitely been a mood change since uh, I was here 10 years ago. And Edu, was it uh, last year? I think it was last year. There was these, the, obviously, the um, when the Prime Minister attends Waitangi uh, commemorations, 
we had Helen Clark a few years that uh, you know was crying on the marae, and then last year we had um, a scuffle with uh, Prime Minister John Key. Is there a tone at this year's commemorations, like his security beefed up? Yeah, um, from what I've heard, uh, there's been more uh, sort of private security being uh, being hired to oversee that nothing, you know, that it's incident free. Um, there's also quite a visible presence of police here as well. Uh, yeah, you noted about the, the biffo that happened last year between uh, the Prime Minister and two locals. So, um, and uh, yeah, and of course, um, the Prime Minister is coming on with uh, Peter Sharple. So, hopefully, you know, if it happens again this year, which I don't think it will, Peter Sharple's, like last year, will be there to be his kind of bodyguard. I remember him uh, putting one of the uh, locals um, into, a, uh, into a headlock, which was actually quite funny. Um, so, definitely a strong security presence at this. Waitangi Weekend's uh, commemorations. As I look out towards the flag staff, I can see two police uh, uh, police officers wandering around and making sure that you know the everything is um, okay here. That uh, people are, are abiding by the laws. So, Edu, tell me about the flag this year at Waitangi. I get a sense that. Uh, one of the komato of the Waitangi Marae at Kingi Todor doesn't want to be bossed around so um, about what flag should be flown here and um, to my knowledge there's been no decision yet as, a, as to what should be flying from the flag staff here and as I look towards the flag staff it's still the New Zealand ensign so um, I get a feeling that that's still going to be the case um, that there'll be no change to fly the Tinoranga Tiratanga flag. But even though it's not flying from the flag staff here, um, in, the cent- in the tent city, which is not very far from where our tent is, there are plenty of uh, Tinoranga Tiratanga flags. And also next to them, I, s- I saw a few cars with both the Tinoranga Tiratanga flag and also the Confederation flag. So um, it appears that there's also a, a strong kind of loyalty and support for that Confederation flag because it is pretty much a Ngāpuhi and Northern thing um, in association with that flag. Different other uh, other different Māori flags like the Kotahitanga flag um, and uh, local Ngāpuhi flags have been flying as well. So yeah, plenty of colour here at Waitangi. Also, one of the main things that's happening this year with Waitangi is the relaunch of the big waka, Ngātuki Matawharua, which was built in Hokianga. That's also going to be joined with uh, other waka from around the country and one of the biggest waka regattas ever seen here at Waitangi. When I was here last year, I saw plenty of waka um, on, the, on the water, but this year they reckon there's going to be even more waka, so that's going to be joined with Ngātuki Matawharua. Um, also, another thing that's going to be different about uh, Waitangi this year is that uh, there's going to be commemorations happening in the Hokianga uh, with their own uh, treaty commemoration. Uh, apparently Ngātuki Matawharua and other waka are going to be going around the other side of uh, the other coast of Northland to also uh, play a part in the events uh, around the Hokianga uh, treaty commemorations. Well, uh, kia ora eru, nā mihi nui kia koe e hoa. It's great to uh, have, uh, you know, have Kōrero to about the goings-on at uh, this year's Waitangi uh, commemorations. Thank you, Justine. It's been good to talk about my experience here at uh, Waitangi. Um, uh, looking forward to the weekend, but of course, uh, by the time you've heard this, it would have already been played out and uh, another successful Waitangi event would have, uh, would have passed. So, e mihi ana rā te ngākau ki tēnā ki tēnā koutou, ko tahuri mai nei ki te whakarungo mai ki tēnei Kai whakahoha e, e kōreroana, e whakamāramatuana, e pāne ki ngā huatanga mō Waitangi mō tēnei tau rua mano te kau. Tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou. I'm Justine Murray and this is Te Ahikā. And to find out what's coming up on the show, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter by emailing teahikā at radionz.co.nz. You're listening to Te Ahikā, Radio National. There's a book hitting the stands this March that's sure to create some contention if the pre-release buzz is anything to go by, as Mariah learned when she spoke to its editor. Nā tarua nā maunga, ko taki timu te waka, ko nga te kahanunu te wararapa te iwi, ko nga te moe te hapu, ko rua mahanga te awa, ko wararapa te moana, ko papawai tōku marae, ko huani e rangitaka i waho tōku tupuna. Uh, call Malcolm Mulholland, uh, Toku Ingwa. Malcolm Mulholland, you've edited a selection of essays for a publication called Weeping Waters, The Treaty of Waitangi and Constitutional Change. 
That's a pretty uh, hefty title there. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, Weeping Waters, um, for those people who don't know, is what Waitangi means in English. Um, and we felt that it was a fairly apt title, given the history um, that Māori have received under the Treaty and regarding constitutional change. So the title basically chose itself. There's 18 chapters in total. Um, what Veronica, my co-editor, and I did at the outset was... That's the, Veronica Tafai. Yep, correct. Veronica Tafai, uh, no Ngāti Parai. Uh, we sat down at the beginning of the project and worked out what areas it was that we wanted to have a look at with regard to the treaty and constitutional change. And we felt like we'd got a fairly good cross-section of issues. And then from there we went along and chose who we considered to be experts in their field. Um, we're glad to say that of all of the contributors approached, um, only two declined to take part, and that was due to time constraints. Right. Um, and all the other contributors were very willing to participate, um, which I, I think is the reason why we were able to do it within a six-month time frame. So what are some of the things that are covered by some of the contributors? Uh, some of the kaupapa, um, for example, Margaret Mitsu has the first chapter there and she re-examines um, the Treaty of Waitangi uh, text. Um, we've also got the chapter there that looks at what the placement of the treaty has been within the courts. Um, there's another one there about the treaty and legislation. But not only are we looking at how the treaty is fed within the Westminster system, we also um, turn the tables on ourselves and look at, um, in particular, movements that Māori have formed in the past in order to advocate for um, treaty and Māori rights and ask ourselves some hard questions about what a treaty might mean or what a constitution might mean that's based on, on the treaty for Māori. You know, Malcolm, what makes this book any different to all the other books that come out about the Treaty of Waitangi? I mean, last year there was a publication from Victoria University, from Dr Matthew Palmer. I mean, is this the buzz topic? I think there's a very important difference between what Matthew Palmer put out and what we're put, putting out. Um, the first difference is that um, 17 of the contributors in this book are Māori, and Matthew Palmer is quite obviously a Pākehā. Um, and whilst I'm not discouraging Pākehā to take part in the debate about the treaty, I think it's very important that, um, as Māori, we record um, what debates we are having and just look at where we're at in, in present day. Um, and really, as far as I'm aware, there hasn't been a book that has had a Māori opinion about the treaty and constitutional change for some years now. And so I felt it was very important um, that there be a Māori opinion out there in that form. So where are we in terms of that debate, Malcolm? Uh, we're all over the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's not totally true. Basically, I, I think the debate has changed amongst our communities. I think in the past we've, we've probably focused on the Westminster system and we've looked at how we might be able to alter or, or play with that. Um, and I think you know some of the chapters talk quite strongly about wiping the slate clean, just forgetting the Westminster system for a minute, and thinking about the way in which we operated before Pākehā came to these shores. And one of the, the uh, key themes that comes out of the book is a discussion around kawa. You know, what do we mean by kawa? Um, how did we operate, not just in terms of um, how kawa is applied today with regards to the marae, but what might the implications be if we were to extend that as to how the, the country operates. Um, and also there's a lot of discussion around values, what are the principles that we hold dear to ourselves and how best um, can those principles be upheld. So I think it's, it's more than just talking about you know, structural change at a parliamentary level, it's really talking about the essence of who we are and how best to give a voice to that. Is there some advocating going down there for a republic? No, not strongly, not in the book. Um, a lot of the contributors felt that a republic was really a distraction um, from where the uh, base of the discussion needs to, to come from. Uh, you know, if you're talking about a republic, you're essentially talking about removing the monarchy and for us to leave the Commonwealth. And there are obviously some constitutional implications if that was to happen. But uh, primarily what the contributors are talking about is, look, let's not get distracted by that debate because essentially you're talking about tinkering with the system as it stands. Let's look at, in an ideal world, 
um, how we may operate. Now, in the book, you call for the possibility that maybe national symbols need to better reflect the Treaty of Waitangi and the, and the history here within Aotearoa. Yeah, that's right. Um, my my chapter brief asked two questions. Uh, it was to look at the national flag that we know, know today as the Blue Ensign, to look at our national anthem, God Defend New Zealand, and also to look at the name New Zealand and ask the, the two questions. One, um, was the treaty ever considered um, in the decision-making process for those symbols? And two, were Māori ever asked for an opinion um, when those uh, symbols were decided upon? And the answer to both questions was a resounding no. And so that begs the question, well, if we're to look at giving a voice to the treaty in terms of constitutional change, what does that then mean for these symbols? Um, and I came to the conclusion that they would, at the very least, have to be amended if not um, totally... Uh, Reflective of yeah. our current state Yeah, that's as a right. country. I mean, uh, you know, you, if you take, for example, the name New Zealand, the name New Zealand was decided upon a man who never stepped foot um, in this country, a man by the name of Joan Blau, who was the Dutch East Indian Company cartographer. Um, and that was done after they realised that uh, Abel Tasman had made a mistake in identifying New Zealand as an extension of the great southern landmass. Um, so that's how New Zealand came about. Um, and uh, you've also got, for example, God Defend New Zealand, which was penned by Thomas Bracken, and he had it in his mind after he had wrote those lyrics that it would become the national anthem, and over the course of time, of course, it did. But if you look at the words, not one word talks about Māori or the treaty um, or even forging a new pathway forward for our country. Um, so I think you know some big questions need to be asked about uh, those symbols that we have today. Malcolm, what you're suggesting to some people, they'd view it as treason. Yeah, they would, and I expect that. In some regard, I don't actually discourage people from feeling passionate about those symbols. I mean, after all, for a lot of people, that is who they are. That's who they identify as being. But I think what's important is that when you look at those symbols, we're not saying let's get rid of what those symbols represent. We're looking at let's get rid of the way in which they represent what they do, um, which I think is an, uh, an important distinction to make. If you can divorce the two, then you can have a reasoned debate about if we were to wake up tomorrow and have our choice of a flag, what might that mean? That requires a degree of honesty, though, Neda, in terms of addressing the history of this country Māori and Pākehā relationships. Do you think the country's in that headspace? No, I don't. I One of the interesting things that I found out as a result of researching that chapter was really the dearth of knowledge amongst the public as to how those symbols came into being. And it's interesting, when you look at the time of 1940, which is when we celebrated our first centenary, uh, there was a lot of research being carried out by government departments and interested people in the public as to, for example, how the flag uh, came about. Now, a lot of, not a lot of people knew at that time that a man called uh, Sir George Ferguson Bowen, who was the governor of New Zealand from, 1968, uh, from sorry, 1868 to 1873, was a man who decided upon the flag that we now have in 1869. Uh, he was a career diplomat um, and only spent five years in this country. Um, and I think if you were to ask the same question now, 170 years later, still people would be scratching their heads and saying, well, actually, I don't have a great deal of knowledge as to how that flag was chosen. I think that's a sad indictment uh, upon successive governments and not making it a priority for um, our children to be educated in the schools. So why do you think that continues to happen, Malcolm, that you're not hearing the an accurate and complete history of how this nation came to be? Well, that's a very good question. I wish I had the answer for mm. that, but I'm afraid I don't. I guess one could be um, a bit of a conspiracy theorist and say it was a deliberate ploy um, to suppress the, the knowledge. Um, I guess, if anything, it can be regarded as an output of colonisation because, um, as we know, colonisation looks to replace one culture with another, and that's certainly what's happened with regard to uh, those symbols that I speak about. Part of the brief for each chapter was to, in actual fact, look at what has happened in the past in order to um, bring us up to date with what's happening now 
um, and what might happen in the future. And I think that's one of the important lessons out of the book is that, um, you know, as the saying goes, unless we know our history, then we're um, destined to to repeat the mistakes that have been made in the past. And that's something that um, I think all of us are quite keen to avoid. Basil Keane's chapter is, in, is on uh, Kotahitanga, um, which, for lack of a better phrase, is the Māori Parliament movement, which really took prominence in the 1890s. And he looks at some of the debates that were held when uh, those parliaments met, um, and very much they were, were keen for the treaty to be um, the founding document of this country and for it to be enshrined as a constitution. Um, and I think that you know that piece of history for some has been lost. Um, and it's interesting to think that the debate that they were having back in 1890 is very similar to some of the debates that we're having today. And isn't that a little disheartening? Yeah, it is. Um, and I, I think that tells something in itself that um, we need to address these issues, otherwise they're going to keep reoccurring. You know, Helen Clark, John Key, Robert Muldoon, they'll, they'll come and go. But these issues about the Treaty of Waitangi and its place within a constitution will remain. I guess one thing that is heartening at the moment is that the National Party and the Māori Party are set to announce uh, the terms of reference to their constitutional review. And one hopes that uh, those terms of reference are quite wide so that everything uh, can be looked at. Now, what about Kapua Smith? What's her contribution? Uh, Kapua Smith wrote a really good chapter about Māori political parties and how they've fared within Parliament. Um, she went right back uh, to the days prior of, of T.W. Ratana and his alliance with Labour and comes right up to present day with the advent of the Māori Party. And she examines uh, the place of the treaty and what it was that they were fighting for um, when they were in the House of Representatives. And it's very consistent. Um, most Māori political parties, in fact all of them, believe that the treaty should be the cornerstone of a constitution for New Zealand. It's interesting, yeah, and then when you have government policy that seeks to remove Treaty of Waitangi terminology from any of their memorandums or any of their understandings. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's another theme that I think clearly emerges from the book is that um, any discussion about constitutional change in the place of a treaty um, is very much at the political whim of the day. Um, Tamapotaka uh, speaks about it, you know, the place of the treaty in legislation, how there was a nothing that really happened prior to the Lenz case in 87, and then all of a sudden there's a big burst of energy. Um, but these days, because it's politically expedient, um, you've got the likes of Wayne F and others who are talking about removing treaty clauses from legislation. Does anyone touch upon the post-settlement process? Karen Fox does uh, in her chapter, Change Past and Present. Um, she talks about how that may change the dynamics between Māori and the Crown in terms of being um, development-focused and, and future-focused rather than constantly looking at the past and addressing grievances. And I think that that's a dynamic that we now need to be aware of um, when we are looking to address constitutional issues. And what about the urban experience? Yeah, the urban experience, um, I must admit, is something I wasn't too familiar with. I, I suspect, like quite a few Māori, I was quite horrified that we would go um, to the courts to decide what an iwi is and not really understanding what that whole debate was about. But I think, uh, you know, Tanya does very well in her chapter. That's and, Tanya Jackson. Uh, correct. In plotting, uh, you know, how urban Māori have emerged how they have fought um, for treaty rights and to be a partner with the Crown in terms of Article 2 because they act as rangatira uh, in the Auckland region predominantly. Um, and she concludes that urban Māori very much need to be a part of the discussion when it comes to talking about how to give effect to the treaty and constitutional change. Now, there was a single Pākehā contributor to uh, Weeping Waters, the Treaty of Waitangi and Constitutional Change. Um, who was that? Uh, that's Dr Janine uh, Haywood. Um, she's considered an expert in local government issues. She comes from Otago University, and she wrote what I thought was a very good chapter about looking at the place of Māori with local government, and she argues that any um, delegation of power from the Crown needs to be met with treaty obligations and that even though the Crown have 
at times said that to local government, they haven't followed through with any mandatory provisions within the legislation for them to actually um, give effect to that. And so what she is arguing is that this needs to happen at a local level, perhaps uh, more so than at a central level, because it's at that local level that you get real change on the ground. Mm. And she's very critical of the uh, Auckland Super City and the fact that uh, Rodney Hyde was dead against having Māori representation on the newly formed council. So your intention when you were pulling together all these contributors and all these essays, what was the intention of the book? Um, the intention of the book, there were, there were quite a few intentions. Um, I think the first one was really just to gather a Māori opinion on the Treaty of Waitangi and constitutional issues first and foremost, for that to act as a, a record of where we are at and for that to have the ability to inform and educate uh, Māori and Pākehā throughout the country, um, but also in the hope that uh, the book may um, educate and inform the debate that will be taking place as a result of the constitutional review um, that's been signalled by the, the National Party and the Māori Party. And uh, we hope that the book um, figures largely in, in their thinking. Miraya with Malcolm Mulholland, Nōnati Kahunganu ki Wairarapa, editor of a book, Weeping Waters, the Treaty of Waitangi and Constitutional Change. It'll be out at the end of March and we'll give you a heads up when we feature the book on our review segment, Te Weti Weti. For more information about Te Weti Weti, you can head to radionz.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika. You'll see it there with audio of the previous book review. If there is one name that is synonymous with Te Taitokero region, it is Sir James Clendon Tauhinare. Hinare was a Member of Parliament for Northern Māori from 1914 to 1938. This kaumatua lived a rich life and worked tirelessly for the betterment of Māori. In his lifetime, Suhinare achieved many accolades. He was at the forefront of the Kohangareo movement. He helped establish Waipapa Marae at the University of Auckland and was a noted orator in both Te Reo Māori and English. It was Hinare who coined the Whakatauki Ko te reo, te Māori o te mana Māori. Your Excellencies, the Honourable Mr McIntyre, Members of Parliament, Your Excellencies of the Diplomatic Corps, Distinguished Guests, Ladies and Gentlemen, May I crave your indulgence for just a brief moment as I would like to address my people in my mother tongue. Te tai toke rau, te nā koutou e taune. Ngai wio te motu, te nā koutou e taune i runga i te marae tapu, o tātou mātua, o tātou tūkuna. Te iwi Māori, Utanoa te motu, e noho mai nei o tātou marae kāinga, e whakāta mai nei ngā mahi o tēnei ahiahi, i runga i tō koutou marae, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou. Tēnei te mihi nei kia koutou ki te iwi Māori, mō koutou i haere mai i te rā nei, i te whakanui, i te rā tapu, i te marae tapu, te wāhi haina ti ai, te tiriti o Waitangi. Te tai toke rau, Tēnei te mihi nei kia koutou, e manāki nei i ngā iwi o te motu. Mā wai koia hoki, e manāki ngā iwi o te motu. Mā urā, mada tai toke rau. I haina tia te tiriti o Waitangi, hiroto i āko i te tai toke rau, ā kā hora ki te motu katoa. Kei ke mai te motu, ki runga i a tāua, mā tāua e manāki, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, he te taitoke rau. Ahako o tātou porarutanga, e pai anna, waihona te tangata, kia korero nei ona hokaro, liria te riri, a kāu ki te pai. E harai te mea kāroa ngā mihi kia koutou, e oi noko te whakatau potoatu ia koutou, katatū mai nei, i rungo o Waitangi. Your Excellencies, 
on behalf of the Maori people. It gives me much pleasure in extending to Your Excellency, Your Gracious Lady, and Your Daughter, a very warm and sincere welcome on this, Your first official visit to Waitangi. It is both fitting and proper that the first official welcome by the Maori people be accorded you on this historic and hallowed spot. New Zealand has given birth to many distinguished sons and daughters. We welcome you home as the most distinguished, occupying, as you do, the highest position in the land as Her Majesty the Queen's representative. We pray that your term of office in your native land be a rewarding and most enjoyable one. Welcome then, thrice welcome. May I have the honor, sir, of respectfully requesting Your Excellency to convey to the Queen the affection and undivided loyalty of her Maori people. To your predecessor, Sir Bernard Ferguson, Lady Ferguson, and their son, Geordie, our greetings and good wishes. We are gathered here this evening to celebrate the 128th anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi and the birth of a nation, our nation. The removal by legislation of certain and difficult obstacles to full equality with a Pākehā sometimes ruffles otherwise calm Māori waters. The Māori has grown up and indeed, all New Zealanders have grown up, for we witness on this historic spot the first New Zealander to occupy such a high position as our Governor-General. I need hardly remind the Māori of the fact that when we accept privileges, we must also accept responsibilities. I am confident that the Māori will rise above himself and continue to take his place and play his full part in celebrating the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. The treaty is sacrosanct. Let us keep it that way. Let the Māori people be worthy descendants of their illustrious ancestors who ceded sovereignty of these islands to Her Majesty Queen Victoria. In conclusion, it is the fervent hope of the Māori people that Waitangi Day be made New Zealand's National Day. We hope and pray that government and our several provinces will consider this matter very earnestly. Thank you.
Our archival recording of James Hinare, who addressed the crowds at Waitangi in 1968. Anaira, a James Hinare, who we heard in our archival segment from the 1968 Waitangi commemorations, with this week's Fakatoki. E paiana, wai hona te tangata, ki a korea nei ona hokaro, liria te liri, a kau ki te pai. He mihi atu tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero e takotonei nā o rātou kōrero taonga, ki ngā kai rā wikiwiki mihini, ngā mihi. Hoki mai anō hei tērā wiki e te iwi, maudi ora.